We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, so back when I was like 18, 19, around that time, I kept having this recurring dream. And you know those dreams that like, you know, it's the trope on TV where uh, you always have this dream where you show up and you're in your underwear or something like that, right? No? I know, you, right? It wasn't quite like that, but it was in the same kind of vein where it's like, essentially you, you show up and you feel kind of like exposed or you feel like you're not prepared. And so I had this dream where I kept coming to this church that I met Bethany at, uh, that we were in the youth group in, and I was no longer going to when I was having this dream, but I had a dream. I came back to visit one weekend, and I'd show up, and then the like, pastor was like, oh, hey, Chris, are, are you ready like, to preach this morning? And I'd be like, wait, what? That, I'm not, he's like, yeah, I remember you're, you're preaching this weekend. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready. And I would have nothing. I, like, I don't have anything to say. I didn't know, like, where to go in the scripture, like I wasn't prepared at all. And this was a large church, by the way, of like 2,000 people. And I'd stand up there, and I might as well have been in my underwear because I just felt completely exposed for being a fraud, right? Like, <laughs> I was just like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared. Uh, and I think that when we read this morning in Hebrews about discipline, I want us to connect that to preparedness, Discipline's not a fun topic, right? Like as soon as uh, we heard that scripture and maybe I just even said the word right now, discipline, maybe some of us are like, oh, great, this is gonna be a fun Sunday, right? Like, oh, fun, joy, we get to, like normally we talk about the grace of God and the love of Jesus here and today it's discipline, right? Super fun, super fun. And so often when we hear discipline, maybe we have this word punishment in our head. And those can be connected for sure. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But I want us to start. I didn't start with sharing a story about a time where my father disciplined me for a reason. I I started with an example of not being prepared. Because I think that's what good discipline does for you, is it prepares you for something. When you think about like sports, doing anything athletic, and you have a coach, what are they doing? They are trying to prepare you for your game or your match, for the competition that's coming up, right? And in order to do that, they have to help you become a more disciplined athlete, right? That you're getting the sleep you need, getting the nutrition you need, that you are showing up to practices on time, and that you're putting in the hard work. And when it gets really hard and you want to quit, you want to give up, that you have the discipline to keep pushing through it. That's one way, one example of how discipline prepares you for something. I think a lot of times when we hear texts like this, we picture a God in the sky who's looking down on us, like get your stuff together. We picture a God who wants to give discipline so that we would act right, so that we would make him look good, right? So that we would fall in line, and get it together for once. But that is not the kind of discipline that is talked about from the author of Hebrews here. Remember, we've gone through 11 chapters, you guys, and what has been the recurring theme over and over and over again? 
Yeah, we got it up on the screen, right? <laughs> Jesus is better than all else. And so keep your eyes fixed on him. Trust in him. He has done all the work for you. The discipline is to not turn and look to something else and trust in that, but to keep your eye fixed on the Jesus who has performed on your behalf. That's the discipline. It's not, hey, you need to knock that sin off. Now, now listen, sin is a big deal. Our rebellion against God in our heart, that does matter. What we are not trying to say in this community is that you could do whatever you want to do and it doesn't matter because Jesus has already paid it all. And so you know what? Just have fun. Go for it, right? Paul talks about that in Romans. He says, does this mean I should go on sinning? Should I go on rebelling? By no means. But it's an understanding that Jesus has accomplished everything through his good work for me. And now out of that, out of that, I actually now have the power and the freedom to live in a way that honors God. How do you do that? By keeping your eyes fixed on the Jesus who did everything for you. By not turning and looking to something else to give you fulfillment and satisfaction and joy to find the things that you're looking for in life. That's the discipline being talked about here. The sin that we're being warned about in this text is not a specific like, hey, stop looking at this on your phone. Hey, make sure that you don't lie anymore. Hey, hey, why are you gossiping, right? Those are all things that will be destructive, by the way. But how do you have the power to overcome those? The sin that's talked about here. This is not a, when he mentions sin, he doesn't use a general. He actually uses that participle, the sin. Speaking about one thing. And it's the same thing for the last 11 chapters. To not turn away from your trust in Jesus and go seek something else for your life. That's the sin. So there's a discipline that God as a good father employs in order to keep us headed in the right direction of fixing our eyes on Jesus so that you then actually have the power to overcome these other things that are in your life, these other things that are entangling you, these other things that do seem like maybe they have a control over you, but guess what? God, who controls the whole universe, has already done the work to set you free from that. And so we're encouraged and we're implored to walk in that truth, to walk in that manner. And so what the author of Hebrews does here is he says, hey, listen, this is kind of like when you have a dad who disciplines their kids. And again, as soon as I say that, there's some of you who go like, yeah, I, yeah, I had a really good dad. And like there were times where I was angry at him for disciplining. But when I look back, I'm so thankful because I would have been a mess if it weren't for that discipline. Like, he, he kept me going in the right direction, right? Maybe, maybe you think of your mom. Yeah, my parents, like, they, I'm thankful for their discipline, even though I might have been angry or upset in the moment as a child. But then there's others of us in this room who, as soon as you use that analogy of a father who disciplines their children, you have a whole other picture in your head, don't you? You have a whole other backstory going on that's informing how we're going to hear the rest of this. 
And you go like, man, is that really what God's like? Is, is that the kind of like discipline that we're talking about here of a God who punishes us? I want you to feel how you messed up right now. I want you to feel bad about it so that you'll never do it again. Is that the kind of discipline we get from a loving father who created us and made us in his image and desires to be with us so much so that all throughout history, he has constantly moved toward us, even though we've moved away from him. It doesn't seem to add up with the rest of the story, does it? But we have to understand we, we have those experiences in our lives that then color the way we hear the rest of this. And I just want to acknowledge that because those are real. They're there and they do matter. But acknowledging that, I also want to say, this is different. This is a different kind of discipline. This is a different kind of father. This is a better discipline. That's for your good. And it's a better father that it's coming from. And so what the author of Hebrews does is he quotes actually from Proverbs 3. And he says this, by the way, he says, this is the quote. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And there it is right there. That's the word maybe where we have a hard time with, right? And so I want to go back to actually where he's quoting from, from Proverbs. So in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12, this is what the original text actually says. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. It sounded almost identical until the very end, didn't it? Almost the exact same until the very end. What word was missing out of that one? Punish. Yeah. Now why? Is the author of Hebrews, is he just like really big on spankings and whoopings? <laughs> What's going on here? So I want us to see actually all throughout scripture, when we hear of the Lord's discipline, it is almost never in light of punishment, but always in light of correction, turning. You know, that's where we get the word disciple is from discipline. And what, what was the life of the disciples like? It was following Jesus. It was eating with Jesus. It was hearing the stories of Jesus. And it was, yes, being corrected by Jesus. It was being taught by Jesus. It was also being welcomed by Jesus. And it was being invited by Jesus to do the things that Jesus did. To say, hey, you can actually heal this person. You can actually feed these people. You can actually lay hands on and pray over these people. That was part of the discipline. But it was walking in the steps of Jesus and learning how to do that more and more each day as they followed him. It was not a bad thing. It was not a punitive thing, right? It wasn't, it wasn't punishment. There wasn't penalty there. This is a good kind of discipline. It was a preparedness. 
Because Jesus told them, one day, I'm not going to be walking with you physically. But you're still going to do greater things than I did. Which, figure that one out on your own. I don't know. That's pretty crazy. It's a wild statement, right? But Jesus was preparing them for a time. He also knew that suffering was going to come in their lives as they followed him. And so Jesus, in a loving way, like what we hear about from Proverbs 3, was preparing them so that they could be strong, stand firm, and actually even find joy in the midst of their suffering that would come. So as a, as a good parent, there's lots of parents in this room, you desire for your kids to be prepared for life, don't you? Like you want them to do well and be well as adults. And so what do you do? You have to prepare them. It's our whole job as parents. Sometimes we do a pretty good job. Other times, if you're like me, we fail miserably at it. But our goal is I want to train and equip you to be able to handle whatever life throws at you. And not just handle it, right? But to actually thrive through it. To enjoy the goodness of life and to be able to handle the brokenness of life. And to be able to love people in the midst of that so that they see in you a joy and a hope that can transcend their pain and their brokenness. That's our job, Missio parents. Those of you in here who don't have kids, we need your help in that, by the way. We got a lot of kids here, in case you didn't know. And this becomes a communal effort, a communal effort for us to help prepare these young people to thrive in a beautiful yet broken world in a way that shows people the goodness and the joy of God. And so God, a good father, he's actually given us ways to do that. And he's given us his, not just his word, but his presence and his spirit in order to do that. And we see all throughout scripture, this model, this example of how he has done that for his people all throughout history. That as Israel kept turning away from him, yes, there was discipline. There was judgment even. And at times it maybe even seemed punitive, right? It seemed like punishment, but actually what it was always doing was correcting and preparing. It was always turning them back away from what was leading them to destruction and back toward where he wanted them and the goodness of life. And so our invitation right now is to see that God is still at work in our lives in the same manner, that he's trying to prepare us more than that, that he is trying to equip and train us to recognize that he's with us. Even here and now, even in the discipline, even in the hard things. But also to equip and prepare us and train us to long for when he will physically be with us for eternity. And we will no longer have the hard things present with it. And so whoever wrote this in Proverbs, like recognize this is the way God works, right? Don't despise the Lord's discipline. This is a good thing. When, when your father, our God, comes to you and tries to turn you to look toward what's good and beautiful and right, 
This is a good thing. Don't despise that. Don't grow weary of it. This is good. For the Lord reproves who? Those whom he loves. This is a father who loves you. He cares for you. Otherwise, he would be an absentee father, right? And that's the, that's the picture a lot of people have of God in the world, that he's a God who created and then was like, hey, good luck. Let's see how this experiment turns out, right? He would be an absentee dad, but that's not who he is. He engages in disciplining you because he loves you. You are his child. That's incredible. And it's not a harsh discipline, a punishment, but it's a corrective preparedness. So he loves you as a father, the son in whom he delights. It's beautiful. And then we get to Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews decides to add this word, and he punishes every son he receives. And I'm like, man, thanks a lot for that. Made it a lot harder to preach this morning, whoever wrote Hebrews. And he punishes the son he receives. That word punish, by the way, the Greek word for it, it actually means like flogging, lashing. It is painful. It is a harsh word. I thought like, hey, I'm going to look up the original Greek word here and try to explain this away, and it's going to be a lot softer. (laughs) And it's not going to sound like the word punishment that we have in the English. And I was like, nope, it's worse. (laughs) Fantastic. Don't know what to do with that. And as I sat reflecting on this all week, and I was thinking like, where have we seen that happen? Where have we seen the father allowing flogging and whipping and lashing of his son. It's interesting that that wasn't in Proverbs, and yet the author of Hebrews, who's been trying to point us to Jesus the entire time, says, listen, your father loves you. That's why he disciplines you. But remember, right before he quoted this, he said, but you have not withstood sin to the point of shedding your own blood yet, have you? No, because there's a son who the father has received who has already done that for you. You have a father who loves you, who disciplines you, but listen, the one he received, who rose out of the grave and ascended to heaven with the father, he was punished on our behalf so that we don't have to be. You have a father who will discipline you, who will correct you, who wants to prepare you, train you, equip you to be able to withstand all the suffering and the brokenness of this world and to do it in a way where you experience joy and the goodness of life because God is with you even in the midst of that. But you will never have to face the punishment that the son faced on our behalf because the son who the father received, who he loves has already done it. I don't, I don't think he's just adding to the text. I think he's reminding us. I think the author of Hebrews is reminding us, listen, the, the punishment has already happened. It's already been dealt with. It's already been paid for. But you still have a father who loves you. And yes, he will continue to discipline you. Not in a way to say, man, you need to feel the weight of what you just did, but instead in the way to say, this is how you follow better. This is how you live better. 
This is how you be with me more closely. It's a good discipline from a loving dad, from a good father. And as you feel the discipline of the father in your life, do not grow weary of it. Like, I know there are times when I feel like, man, God, like, why am I going through this? And I grow a little weary of it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm out. (laughs) I want to say that. There's times that the things that I feel God has called us to, our family to, where I'm just like, this is really hard, God. Why does it have to be hard? Can it be simple? Can it be easy? I'm like, I just want to be, I want to be done. I want to be out. And I can't do it. I can't do it because I know what I would be turning to is something that is far less life-giving. And I know that here, following him, is where I experience the presence of God's spirit. I know that following after him in the hard things even is where I get to see God show up like these stories we just heard people share earlier. Like, that was discipline, right? What Chris shared with us. That whole journey from Toronto to Dallas to here. Like, God was with them in that. And it was difficult. And now they get to say, look at what God did. Look at how he showed up in our lives. Look at how we got to experience his goodness in the midst of that. That's what good discipline from a good father looks like. And I'm not saying that God always causes and forces these hard things to happen. But what I'm saying is when those hard things come, he will be right there with you in it. And he will lead you in a corrective, loving, disciplined way through it. This is a far better father than any of us have. Of those two examples I I said earlier, we have some people in this room who go, yeah, I had a pretty good dad who was kind of like that. And those of us who say, that's not what I experienced. Listen, for all of us, this is a better father. This is a better discipline. Those of you who had pretty good ones, they were just giving you a glimpse into our true father. And those of you who had not so great ones, you have a father who wants to come and restore and redeem all that in your life. And he has done that by lovingly sending his son to come and pursue you and say, hey, come and join this family. Come and join my father and I. And you get adopted in with him and you get to be a brother or sister with Jesus, the true son, and experience all the beautiful things that the father lavishes on him with his love along with the hard things. But our hope is that he's with us through the process. And so what we're going to do now, as we do every week, is when we go to the table, we remember the penalty that Jesus took on our behalf. The son, he came and he took on that penalty for us. The punishment that the author of Hebrews talks about. As we take the bread, we remember his body was broken on our behalf. As we dip it in the cup, we remember his blood was spilled for our sake that the flogging, the lashing, the whipping happened to Jesus. Those who turn their backs, they turn their backs on Jesus. 
so that the Father could turn his face on us and say what he said of his perfect son. This is my child, my son or my daughter, who I love and I'm so pleased with. Welcome home. We take that meal to remember the cost that Jesus paid for us. But also we remember the joining now we have with him, the union with him, that we now are a child of God alongside him. And then after we eat that, we celebrate and remember that he did not stay dead, did he? That the perfect son rose again out of the grave, out of that tomb, in the power of the spirit. And now in the same way as we follow the corrective discipline of God, our father, as we learn to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, we too will walk out of that tomb and out of that grave one day. That the same spirit of God will revive our bodies, our bones, and we will live forever with the Father in his house in eternity, experiencing the perfect love of the Father in our lives. That's what we rehearse when we go to the table. And so I want to invite you to that, but let me pray first. Father, you are a good dad. And I don't know if I know the words to express that truly from up here. And so God, would you be speaking to each of us, your children right now? Would you speak to each of our hearts and draw us closer to you, God, into the arms of our good, loving Father? We thank you for what your son Jesus did on our behalf so that we can draw near to you. And we thank you that you have sent your spirit to fill us to live like that's true. Continue to discipline us in your good, perfect, loving way. In Jesus' name.